Hi, this is Sarit Schwetzer, and welcome to the It Is Taught podcast, a podcast devoted to the teachings of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi, as recorded in his most famous work, the Tanya. My hope for this show is to make these teachings accessible and relatable to the average person, regardless of prior Jewish education or affiliation. The episodes follow the prescribed daily study portions and are meant to serve as practical lessons in how to live your life as your true self and develop an authentic and powerful relationship with your creator. I have personally experienced the effects the study of this work has had on me, and I'm excited to share what I can of this knowledge with you. So please join me on this journey of learning, self-growth, and connection with your source. So throughout Hasidus, trees, or more generally speaking, plant life, are described as being the closest thing that we can experience here in our physical world to creation ex nihilo, to give us a sense of what creation ex nihilo is all about. Because while we take it for granted that you know you plant a, an apple seed in the ground and then an apple tree will grow, it actually, this this doesn't really make any logical sense and it's, it's, it's in a crazy concept. If you were to take uh, an apple seed and put it under a microscope, uh, you would not find any of the characteristics of an apple in this seed. Uh, and in fact, when the seed uh, becomes a tree, the way that the seed becomes a tree is that it actually disintegrates into the ground completely, into the ground. And then the tree emerges from this nothingness in the ground. In Shar Bitachon of Rabbeinu Bechai, which is actually a pre-Hasidic sefer, pre-Hasidic book, um, something similar is spoken about in terms of gardening and how gardening can actually teach us how to have greater, develop greater trust in God and to develop a, a true awareness of where our true sustenance comes from and become less reliant on other, other people in the sense that, you know, we, we live in a world where uh, we, we like to see things in terms of causality. You know, you plant a seed in the ground and a tree grows. You go to work and your boss gives you a paycheck. These, seems, these things seem to be causal uh, activities. But in fact, as Sharbitachan speaks about and Hasidus talks about that this isn't even on a much deeper level, while these things might occur together, they're actually not causal at all. Meaning to say that the reason why the tree grows from the ground is not because of the seed, but it's actually, you know, the seed stimulates the power of growth in the ground. But then that growth that comes, that tree that comes from the ground is actually coming from the nothingness within the ground. It's coming from the power of growth in the ground, from the dissolvedness in the ground. It's really coming from God. Similarly, when we go to work, you know, this is the teaching of Sharbitachon. While it seems like the work that we do produces the money that we then receive, it actually doesn't work like that at all. When we go to work, when we put in that effort, that's the same thing as us, you know, doing the gardening planting and sowing the seeds in the ground and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, so, you know, that sort of is us doing our work. Uh, and then God respo- responds in, in kind and sends us the money that he wants to give to us through the messenger of our boss or through the messenger of our clients, if we have our own business or that kind of thing. Um, so while the boss or the clients are the messenger, they're not the ones, they're not the source of the money that we're getting. Just as much as the apple tree, the source of the apple tree is not in the seed. It's actually in God. God. God is the one creating the tree. It's coming from the earth, from the power of growth within the earth.
So all of this is just to serve as a way of introduction to the topic of Tubishvat, which is the holiday that we are now in today as I'm recording this episode. And Tubishvat is a really interesting holiday in the sense that up until very recently, it actually was for the large part kind of, you know, not acknowledged, at least in the religious world. And even in the Jewish world at large, it actually only started to become into, uh, into our purview uh, more through the secular Jews, actually, through secular Zionists in the 20th century, who coming to Israel wanted to start uh, planting trees in the in in the land of Israel, you know, making the land of Israel really beautiful. And it was a way for them to kind of connect to Israel in a way that didn't feel that religious. And if anything, religious Jews sort of scoffed at this and didn't really see Tubishvat as a serious kind of holiday. You know, yes, Tubishvat is described in rabbinical literature as being the New Year of the Trees. But first of all, this term Tubishvat is a, is secular in origin. I actually just found this out myself. Uh, it's throughout rabbinic literature. It's referred to as being the fifteenth day of Shvat, and supposedly the Lubavitcher Rebbe, up until you know the very end, he never referred to this holiday as being Tubishvat. He referred to it as being Chamisha Selbishvat, which is its more um, Gemara Talmudic name. So while indeed you know Tubishvat has been around for a long time, it only um, you know started getting a name for itself, so to speak really through the secular Zionists. And then, interestingly enough, in more modern times and more really current times in the more recent years, the religious world, especially the more Hasidic world, started uh, taking up this trend and kind of going, getting into it in a more spiritual and religious way. We start seeing things like Tubishvat seders, you know, where people sit around and, you know, start um, eat different kinds of fruits and talk about the different spiritual worlds that correspond to the different types of fruits and the klipa and the, the peels and, you know, different kinds of wine and colors of the wine and how these all have different kind of spiritual sources to them and things like that. And we find that in Chabad Chassidus itself, the Lubavitcher Rebbe actually did speak quite a bit about Tubishvat. And so today I'm going to share something with you that I actually learned about Tubishvat in preparation for a, uh, somebody asked me to speak at an event and um, for whatever reason, I didn't actually end up speaking at the event, but I did do the research um, about Tubishvat to have something to say. And so I figured, you know, might as well share it with you guys. Um, and also because I did find it actually pretty profound and really inspiring. So uh, I've heard before this, this concept, you know, that the, that the rabbis spoke about in Chassidus had spoken about how trees, man and trees are very similar and just like trees you know are constantly growing and thriving and trees bear fruit we should also bear fruit we should also have you know different actions in our lives come about that's those are our creative endeavors and things like that but this thing that I learned which I'm going to share with you guys actually takes this whole concept to a much deeper place um, and it really ties into this initial point that I brought up just before about this creation ex nihilo uh, which is really true transformation and it and what I learned really shows us how the power of Tubishvat is actually all about this power of transformation that we all have this power of creativity that we all have that really starts with our own selves and the power of transformation of our own selves in a really true way because true transformation of of the world really starts from the inside ultimately. So what I'm going to be um, going over with you guys is something that I learned from a sefer called Taras Menachem, which is a compilation of different Fabrengans, different talks that the Rebbe gave. And it's, it's kind of, it's actually pretty unedited, these unedited talks that, uh, that the Rebbe gave throughout the years. And this is from the year 5722, 
Tafshin Chafbet, which is the English year, corresponds to the English year 1962. And the rabbi spoke about this idea of Tubishvat and the and what the significance is to us in our own lives. So as a springboard to the Rebbe's discussion, the Rebbe brings up this verse that's often connected with Tu Bishvat, which this verse comes from Devarim, from Parsha Shoftim, where it says, Ki ha'adam etz ha'sadeh, for is man the tree of the field? And then it goes on to say, Mimenu tochel v'oto lo tichot, which means that you can eat from it, but you should not chop it down. And what this is referring to, just for context, is that this in, in the Chumash, where this is being discussed, is about different laws pertaining to capturing a city during war and what you're allowed to do and what you're supposed to do in terms of you know putting the inhabitants of the city under siege and, and who needs to be destroyed and what needs to be destroyed and everything like that. And um, the Chumash tells us that you know when we come across trees in battle, we should not just chop them down, but rather we should, um, we were allowed to eat their fruit, uh, but we shouldn't chop them down because, you know, is a tree like a, like a person that we should drop, drop it down. And there are a lot of different explanations on this verse, a lot of different interpretations and things like that. And the particular um, explanation that the Rebbe brings here is actually from the Gemara, where the Gemara questions this likening of a man to a tree, this idea of kiha dam etasade, is man like a tree, like a tree in the field? So the Gemara is like, what is this about? What do we mean a man is like a tree in the field? What's this talking about? And then the Sifre, which is a more midrashic uh, explanation on the on the Chumash, explains that what this is referring to, this idea of is man like the tree of the field, is referring to the fact that the life of man is dependent on trees. So it's not saying that man is like a tree, but rather that our lives are very dependent upon trees. You know, so meaning to say, you know, think about it, trees do take up so much of our lives. We get, you know, we get paper from trees, plants grow from trees. So many things come in our lives that we don't even think about really come from trees. So in beginning our discussion, basically what it seems like the Rebbe is going to be addressing here is these two aspects of man being like a tree and man being uh, dependent on trees. And what, you know, what is this all about? How are we like a tree? How are we nourished by trees? And is there a relationship between these two things? And what's like the deeper lesson here, the deeper impact in terms of our lives? So the Rebbe begins his discussion and he actually focuses on the Sifre. He actually focuses on this idea of us being dependent on trees. And he he gets deeper into what this means. He says, I mean, you know, when we say, you know, we're dependent on trees, it does seem a little odd at first glance because while yes, trees do play a very important role in our lives, we're nourished by a lot of things, right? Not just trees. Like um, a person might nowadays with paleo diet or, or keto or whatever, somebody could just eat a lot of meat. You know, they're not eating trees. They're not even plants. A lot of people nowadays, you know, there's like a new trend of the lion diet to not eat any vegetables at all. So what's going on here? So uh, to explain this, the the Rebbe actually cites Likute Torah, which was written by the Alter Rebbe, in which the Alter Rebbe actually cites a Pasuk from Tehillim, where it says, where it says, isad, and bread which sustains man's heart. And the Ultra Rabbi explains that really bread is what really satisfies a person. So what the Ultra Rabbi basically is saying is that yes, 
you know, uh, people could be nourished by just meat, let's say, but there is something very satisfying about bread that you can't really get from anything except for bread. I mean, I know this from firsthand experience because I didn't eat bread for the longest time. And then um, a little while back, I had a I had a medical issue that I was dealing with. I spoke about this in a previous podcast episode in the section on, in the, in the episode about anxiety, if you want to hear that one, and where I actually was kind of forced to go back to eating bread. Specifically, I started eating sourdough bread um, and Ezekiel bread and things like this, like which I hadn't eaten in the longest time. And I'll tell you from per- firsthand experience, I know this is just subjective anecdotal, but there is something extremely satisfying about bread uh, that you just don't get from any other kind of food. Uh, you know, this is why we specifically say berkas amazon, we wash on bread. There's a special significance to bread in Judaism that we don't really have for any other type of food. And where does bread come from? Bread comes from wheat, right? From the grain of wheat, which is plant life. So really, ultimately, if you think about it, what the altar was saying is that really, truly, our satisfaction does come from wheat. Now the rabbi gets into a deeper discussion about why this is. Why is it that we are so satisfied by bread specifically and by, you know, by extension, plant life? And so to understand this, uh, we actually have to get into a little bit of a discussion about what is known as the four orders of creation, or maybe a better way to say it is the four orders of beings, of creations here in our world. And there's a hierarchical nature to this. So the lowest of these creatures in in our world is what's known as the inanimate life. This is rocks, minerals, crystals, salt, you know, things like that. It's just totally inanimate. It doesn't move. It doesn't have any life to it. It doesn't grow. There's nothing about it at all that appears alive, though we do know according to Chassidus that everything in the world, even this inanimate level, does have a spiritual, have a spirit to it. It has some kind of soul interestingly enough, that's keeping it in existence, animating it, even if it's not moving and it doesn't seem very animated, the fact that it's here in the world, it does mean that it it does have some kind of spiritual energy. Then we have what's known as the vegetative life. That's the life of the plants and the trees and flowers and all that kind of stuff. And that's considered to be one level higher because it does have the power of growth. Then above that, we have what's known as the animal life. And what's the animal life? The animal life, not only does it have the power to grow, but it also has the power of movement. Animals move around. You know, they're not stuck in the one same place that they've always been. And then the highest, the king of all creation is man. In Hebrew, we call it the madaber, the speaking person, because only only humans have the power of language. So yes, you know, animals do communicate with each other. They bark, they growl, you know, all that kind of stuff. But really humans, and this has been studied at length, only humans have the power to communicate in in, an intelligible manner uh, through language, through complex sentences. And this ability actually comes from our unique human capacity to be self-conscious, to be conscious of ourselves and kind of like self-reflect and that's really where language comes from. So in Hasidus, there's a very common question that's asked about this order of creation business, that if we were indeed saying that the humans are the kings of creation, we're the top of creation, uh, we're, we're the best, you know, so to speak kind of thing. So what seems a little strange about this is that as great as we are, we are actually totally and utterly dependent upon the lower 
levels for our existence and not vice versa you know like you go into a forest and there's animals living and everything they don't need humans plants you know they have um, their own photosynthesis going on rocks forget about it they really don't need humans but yet we you know in order to live we have to eat what are we eating we're eating these lower creatures so how could this be if we're so great and we're so lofty and we're higher than all of them why how could it be that we're so dependent on all of these lower creation cre creations so the way that Hasidus explains this is it says that as, as Hasidus explains that there's actually this principle that uh this rule so to speak that everything that's found in our world has a spiritual source to it and that the lower something falls the higher its source so what that means is that while yes here manifest in our world all of these lower creations so to speak the animal life the vegetative life and the inanimate life are lower than man the truth is they're lower than man down here in our world but that's only because their source in the higher realms is higher and this is why you know if we go through this order of creation we can actually see that yes we are nourished by all three of those things we eat animals we eat plants you know we eat uh, different vegetables and things like that we also eat minerals so we're nourished by all three of those things the animals they don't eat I mean you know, unless you're in the wrong place at the wrong time generally speaking animals don't eat humans and but animals do very much eat vegetation they eat plant life and plants are nourished from the soil so there is is this kind of order of creation that happens where everything that's on the higher level is actually nourished from that which is below it because that which is below it is actually coming from a higher place and so with this in mind going back to our discussion about us being dependent on trees this is where the sifrate started this discussion we can now give another answer to this idea of this dependence on trees you know why is it that we feel so satisfied when we eat bread more so than when we eat uh, animals is because yes the vegetative life is lower than the animals but that means that its source is higher so actually when we're eating the vegetative life we're actually being nourished in a stronger way in a certain sense than we are from the animal life and now if we really think about this and when we really think about how dependent our lives are upon these trees then when we talk about now we go back to Tubishvat, we talk about this idea that it's a new year for the trees that it's like you know we think about a new year Rosh Hashanah you know Rosh Hashanah for humans on Rosh Hashanah the whole our whole uh, uh, year ahead is being determined for us when it comes to the trees the same thing is happening so on Tubishvat, this is like the new year for the trees what is going to happen to the trees this coming year now it's we realize that this is isn't actually something like totally removed from us because if we're so dependent on these trees this means that we actually um, that our fate is also being determined if the fate of the trees for the coming year is being determined on Tubishvat, that means our fate is also being determined in such a way and this is why the Freyde Rabbah, the previous Lubav previous Lubavitcher Rabbah, actually explains that in the ninth bracha of Shmonesra, where we what's called Birkata Shanim, where we you know we we ask for a blessing for the years for the year to come, then it we're supposed to have in mind a bunch of things that are actually connected to trees. We're supposed to have in mind the four minim, meaning the four um, species on um, that we that we hold on that we shake on on Sukkos, the the main one of which is the esrog, which comes from a tree, the esrog tree. We're supposed to have in mind the shmura matzah, which is from wheat, which is also, you know, vegetative. And then sometimes we're supposed to also have in mind wine, which is a grape, you know, which comes from a vine. So we see that this, we might not be conscious of it all the time, but trees are actually a very big part of our lives. And we actually are very much dependent on them. 
Okay, so that's that's the discussion about our dependence on trees. So very nice and good. So it's good, you know, good to definitely know we, we can have a deeper appreciation of celebrating Tuvishvat because we can really appreciate how dependent we are on trees. But now we're going to go back to the Gemara where the Gemara seems to be implying that not only are we just dependent on trees, but the Gemara actually focuses on another aspect of it, which is this idea of man being likened to a tree. This idea of this citation from Chomesh, Kiha Adam Etasadeh, that... Um, um, that a person is uh, is a tree. Is a person a tree? Like, what what does this mean? Is a person a tree? And the answer that the Gemara gives that explains this, and the take that the Gemara takes is he said is it continues with the pasuk given in the Chumash, where it says mimenu tochel voto lotichot. So as we mentioned, that you you should eat. You know, when you're in war, then you should eat from the tree, but you should not cut it off. So how does the Gemara explain this? The Gemara explains that this idea of a man being like a tree, this is referring to a Talmud Chacham. This is referring to a, a, a Torah scholar, that a Torah scholar is somebody who we can see as a tree. So meaning to say that if somebody is a real Torah scholar, you know, we want to eat from their fruits, so to speak. You know, so they're like a tree that produces fruits, so much wisdom and knowledge, and we want to really garner their wisdom from them. And if he's not a Torah scholar, then what should we do? We should cut him down, you know? So it's like in the in the in the Chumash, it's basically this reference to cutting down a tree. This is referring to somebody who's not a Torah scholar. So if somebody is a Torah scholar, we should eat from their fruits, not cut them down. If they're not a Torah scholar, then um, we should cut them out of our lives, basically. So now the the Rebbe is going to ask some questions about this um, this parallel that the Gemara is making to a person in a tree. So first of all, the Rebbe says that, okay, the, the Gemara seems to be saying that a person is like a tree in terms of being like a Talmud Chacham, you know, and that kind of thing. So the Rebbe says, like, there are actually a lot of different ways that uh, that a person is like a tree. In Perkei Avos, for example, in the Mishnah, in Perkei Avos, there's discussions about a person being like a tree. Um, this is in Perkei Avos chapter 3, Mishnah 17, where it describes a person whose wisdom exceeds their good deeds. This is like a, a tree who has branches, but very little roots. You know, there are different discussions. So the Rebbe is saying, why, you know, why does the Gemara specifically point out this idea of a Talmud Chacham as if this is like, this is the whole thing. It's about being a Talmud Chacham. Like this is a very specific point. And to that point, um, it seems like when the Gemara is having this discussion, it seems like the Gemara is actually saying that a person is like a tree in their whole self. The whole self is a, is like a tree. It's not just like an aspect of the person. And so this idea of a Talmud Chacham is a very, very particular aspect. It's even the Talmud Chacham, you know, they might have a lot of different aspects to them to say that this this focusing um, with specificity on this idea of, Talmud, of, of learning Torah seems to be very specific when on the other hand the Gemara seems to be implying that this isn't a very specific thing it's actually a very general thing that a whole entire person is a tree and more so you know not everybody is a Talmud Chacham so okay so we can say that you know maybe there's a parallel to a Talmud Chacham in a tree but what about everybody else so everybody else is just like the tree that we have to cut off like it seems like we are saying that there is a connection between a tree and the entire human species so what is this all about about. And then the final question that the Rebbe brings up is, is there a connection perhaps between this idea of a person being likened to a tree and what the Sifre spoke about, which is the idea of a person being dependent on a tree? Is there maybe a connection between these two things? 
So the way that we can come to understand this is by first bringing up this really interesting point that again is brought up very often in Hasidic, in Hasidus and different mystical literature in Judaism, which is that a person is called a small world, an olam katan, in comparison to the bigger world, the world outside, the olam gadol, which in simple layman's terms, what that means is that every single person is a microcosm of the macrocosm of the entire world. So what this translates to in terms of our discussion is we're going to go back to this, these four orders of creation that we were talking about, the inanimate, the vegetative, the animal, and the human. And we'll see that while these four orders of creation exist in the macrocosm of the world as a whole, they also exist in the microcosm of every single person. So that every single person has an inanimate part of themselves, has a vegetative part of themselves, has a animal part of themselves, and has a human part of themselves. So the Rebbe here is, is going to focus on the vegetative part of the human, because that is what's pertinent to our discussion. We're talking about trees, tubishvat, and all that stuff. And the Rebbe says, what is, what, where do we find the vegetative, the tzomech, it's called in Hebrew, the tzomech aspect, the vegetative aspect, plant life inside of a human? What does that manifest as? This is the person's midos. This is the person's character traits. How so? Because just like uh, plant life, vegetative life, the whole, the whole like main characteristic of plant life is that it grows, right? That's what distinguishes it from, from the inanimate world is that plants grow, flowers grow versus, you know, rocks do not and that kind of thing. And so too, when it comes to a person's character, hopefully through time, as a person goes through life, they also grow as a person, right? Like we're, we're evolving as people throughout our lives. So now going back to the macrocosm for a second, so we're going to go, we're going to kind of switch back and forth between the microcosm and the macrocosm here. I hope it doesn't get too confusing, but in terms of the macrocosm of the world, as we've discussed, we've discussed the human is at the height of creation. We are at least down here, the highest forms of creation. Yes, as we mentioned, you know, other things have higher spiritual sources than we do. But here in this manifest world, the human is considered to be the highest on the totem pole. What makes the human the highest? What do we have that the other creatures do not have? So we spoke about language, right? That we have the ability to be self-conscious beings, uh, to self-reflect. So the way that this is kind of the word that's used to sum this up in Hasidic literature is the idea of sechel intellect that we have a, we have a mind we have this you know self-reflecting mind this this ability to intellectualize conceptualize that animals and other creatures do not have so now going back into the microcosm of a person that we were discussing. So the microcosm of a person, like we mentioned, they have we have these four levels. We have this level of domem, tomah, chaim, medabel. So we have the inanimate vegetative animal and um and and human part. So this aspect of our intellect is the human part of ourselves because that is what it means to be human. It, what means to be human is is the intellect. So if this is true, here's where the question comes up. This is what the Rebbe is going to be asking. If, if what makes us unique as human beings and what makes us so special as human beings is our intellect, then why is it that this teaching of the Gemara, we, again, we have some an issue with this teaching of the Gemara where it likens a person to a tree. Why a tree? Because a tree, the tree, again, we said within the person, if we're talking about the microcosm of the person, the tree is the, is the 
character traits of the person, the emotions of the person, not their intellect. So, you know, if anything, we would say, you know, a person is a brain. That's, that's really what makes the person is a person is a brain because that, that is what's so great about a person. But why focus on the fact that a person is a tree? Meaning to say, if we translate this into um, Hasidic terminology, we're saying a person is their emotions. A person is their character traits. What's this about? Because that's, you know, that's not what makes us so special. It's not our character traits. It's the human is unique and superior to other creatures specifically because of our intellect, not because of our character traits. You can have a lot of different animals that are very kind to one another. We see this in the animal kingdom all the time that they have, that animals also have emotions. Not only this, the question actually becomes stronger because we, we know that, you know, again, going with the theme of four, there are a lot of fours here that come up in, in this uh, teaching of the Rebbe, but there's actually four different ways that a person is, can be called. We find this throughout the Bible, um, that there are different ways that a person can be referenced by. Um, when we say a person, we could say Adam, that's one. We could say Ish, we could say Gever, and we can say Enosh. And those are in descending order. So Adam is considered to be like the highest form of a man. When we're really talking about a man in like a praiseworthy way, then a little bit lower than that is the idea of an Ish. It's hard to translate these into into English because they all kind of just mean person or man or whatever. Um, but Gevel is considered to be a little bit lower and Enosh is like just like a, a, a being, like a human being just walking around like not nothing. They're not like a mensch necessarily. Like when you think of a mensch, you don't think of an Enosh. You think more of an Adam or maybe an Ish, you know? And again, since there always is this parallel between the four levels. So again, we spoke about the four levels, inanimate, vegetative, animal, and human, there is this parallel with these four terms as well. And the Rebbe doesn't get into all of them, but what he does tell us is that he says that the ish is associated with the midos of a person, the the character traits of a person, the emotions of the person. So it would be, I guess, the vegetative level of the person versus the adam is considered to be the seichel of the person, the mind of the person, the more intellectual man so this just reinforces the question on an even deeper level when we go back to the Gemara um, citing this Pasuk from Chomish where it says Ki ha-adam that it says is man a tree in the in the field it doesn't say is you know when we're saying tree is a reference to the emotions it's a reference to the character traits the mitos which is associated with the word ish it would be one thing if it says ha-ish it's hasadeh, like is, is the ish, the emotional man, the, the tree of the field, but it doesn't. It says the adam, it's hasadeh. So what's going on? How are we, why are we making a parallel between the adam, which is this intellectual being and the tree of the field? Why? What, what is this about? And so the answer to this, very simply put, is that the whole entire purpose of the mind, the sechol, the intellect is in order to transform the midos, is in order to transform the emotions, our character traits. If we just stay intellectual beings on our own, we have not fulfilled our purpose. Our purpose in this world is to transform ourselves. It's to become better as people in, in real ways, in terms of our personalities, to refine our personalities, refine our emotions, gain um, more you know power over our emotions, not be a slave to our emotions, that kind of thing. And the Rebbe um, brings this point about, he, he brings this point home in saying that we can actually see this 
in the Shema prayer that we say, that it, the source of the Shema prayer is in Parshas Veshanan, in the Chomesh, where it says, Ve'edata hayom v'ashavota elevavavecha, which Ve'edata hayom is that, and you should know today, meaning that you should know godliness. It's the first thing that the Rambam talks about, you know, that we all have the obligation to study and try to understand God and godliness and how all of that works. In order to, Ve'ashavota elevavecha, that it should influence your heart, that it should, you should bring it into your heart. That's what it means. So meaning to say that we're not, yes, Judaism is a very intellectual religion. That's, uh, if you've been following along the podcast, you're learning on your own, you see that, you know, it's a lot of intellect going on, but it's not just for intellectual um, contemplation and understanding alone, but it actually the whole point of why we're learning all these things is in order to bring it down into our heart, to transform ourselves on an internal level. And now we can go back to the analogy of the tree and we can see that, you know, the greatness of a tree is specifically in the fruits that it gives. The whole the whole thing, you know, when we think of an apple tree, yes, it might have, you know, very nice branches and all that stuff, but the real point of the tree, why it's all there is really for its fruit. And just like with a tree, uh, you know, the tree really only grows from the flowers that grow off the tree. It's not coming from the body of the tree or the roots of the tree. Nevertheless, in order for the fruit to come about, it needs the body of the tree and it needs the roots of the tree, right? Like if you chop down a tree, it's not going to bear fruit anymore, even though the fruit is, is coming um, specifically from the flowers of the tree. So much so that, you know, again, the Gemara's understanding of this idea, when we talked about the tree as a Talmud Chacham, that was saying that, you know, a, a, a tree that does not yield fruit, meaning to say like a Talmud Chacham, somebody who's not a Talmud Chacham, somebody who's not producing any, any wisdom should be cut off, you know, just like it explains in the Chumash that if a tree isn't bearing any fruit, it needs to be cut down. So, so too, even though, you know, the root of the tree, the trunk of the tree is not the one that not directly where the fruit is coming from, it is really responsible ultimately for the fruit. It is, you know, the, the fruit is dependent on these things. And so, so too, now when we go back to the microcosm of a person, it's the same thing. So within a person, yes, a person, you know, is the advantage of a person, that the greatness of a person is their intellect. But as we've explained, even a person has different levels to them. And this two specific levels that we focused on was the idea of the ish, which is the more, um, it is, you know, a person by nature is an intellectual being, but it's the more intellectual being as it's connected to the emotions of the person. And then there's the Adam, which is more like the essential intellect of this person. So if we wanted to create this parallel between the tree and the person, we could say that like the flowers of the tree, that that's where the fruit comes out from, that would be like the ish. So that's the ish is, yes, it's a person, it's not an animal, so it's an intellectual being, a person, but it's a, it's a person who is connected to emotions. It's the part of the intellect that's connected to the emotions. And so while, yes, this is like sort of like the direct link to the emotions, nevertheless, the adam, which is the essence of the intellect, is like the, tr the trunk and the root of the tree. It's like the the essential being of the person and while it may not seem as directly connected it actually is totally you know the the fruit is totally dependent upon the these things so the the emotions the character traits of a person is actually totally and a hundred percent dependent on the essential intellect of the person
So what the Rebbe is teaching us here in very practical terms is that we hold the power by virtue of being intellectual beings, by virtue of, virtue of being human, and specifically when we tap into the highest aspect of ourselves, the, the intellectual part of ourselves, the part that can uh, remove itself from our own baser desires and uh, and, and the influence of our emotions and all that kind of stuff, we can actually transform ourselves in very deep and profound ways. And the Rebbe goes on further to really get deeper into why it is so important to tap into this Adam part of ourselves, into this essential aspect of our Seichel, this essential aspect of our intellect, and not just stick with the more uh, emotionally based intellect that we have. Because when it comes to the intellect that we have that that's more connected more directly connected to our emotions meaning to say if we're not totally removed from a particular emotional experience that we're having you know let's say if we're too kind of sucked in by the emotional experience that we're having even if we're staying in a sober state of mind while we're going through that experience but we're still really you know operating from a level of really still still being connected uh, to the emotions in that way then the emotions can really have an effect on us and they can actually cause us to not think so clearly, right? Like these emotions can be very strong. And even if let's say the intellect does have an effect on the emotions in this in these kind of times, then it might affect it in a certain way, but it can't actually transform it. You know, like maybe the person will be able to kind of behave, quote unquote, or, you know, control themselves in that moment, um, but they won't actually ever really change. Versus if a person is really able to tap into the essence of their intellect, the etzem ha-seichel, as it's called in Chassidus, then this actually can be a much uh, more powerful experience in both of these ways that we described. First of all, on the one hand, uh, they're not going to be as affected and they're not going to be as influenced by the emotional experience that they're having. And thus, you know, the, the they won't get as confused. They won't, the light of their intellect won't get muddled by the emotions that they're having. And thus the intellect can be the one that is in charge and the intellect can actually shine light into the heart, into the emotions, and we can actually influence how it is that we feel. So yes, we can actually gain control over our feelings. And not only that, when we really tap into the essence of our intellect in this way, um, what this can actually do is it can actually cause us to change the nature of our mitos, to change the nature of our character, that we can actually change who we are in an essential level. So it's not just about controlling ourselves in the moment or behaving in the moment, but we can actually cause real change. And then the Rebbe concludes this whole discussion in talking about Torah study itself and how there are two basic forms of Torah study. There's studying the revealed aspects of the Torah, and they're studying what's known as the inner aspects of the Torah, the Pnimius Torah. And the Rebbe says that the studying the the revealed part of the Torah, what's known as Galia Shabbat Torah, Nigla, um, this, you know, this is definitely a very good thing to do. This is like when people study Talmud or Chumash, you know, or things like that. Uh, so while it is a good uh, way to connect to God and to connect to God's Torah, um, this study itself won't necessarily in and of itself clarify a person. Like we see, you know, unfortunately there are actually like a lot of secular Jews that are, that study, um, Gemara, you know, and it doesn't necessarily inspire them to be more religious. Uh, and even if, even if let's say it does clarify a person on a certain level, it's not going to actually change their nature. It's not going to, somebody's not going to become a totally different person through studying Gemara, generally speaking. 
versus when it comes to studying Hasidus, you know, these deeper ideas um, that really tapping into the more essential, like godliness behind everything, not just the laws here and there, but more about like what, what's really going on behind the scenes. This actually will affect a person. It's impossible that it cannot affect a person. A person who studies Hasidus is going to be affected by it. And to such a point that not only do they get more, become more of a refined person as a result, but they actually can change. Their midos can actually transform. Their character traits can actually transform. So that's where I'll leave you guys here today. There was more that the Rebbe spoke about, but it sort of went on a little bit of a different topic in terms of spreading the light of Hasidus into the world, which is a beautiful, very beautiful thing as well. But um, I, I wanted to keep it here because I felt that this was kind of a topic in its own right. So... Yeah, so kind of like just to sum it up in my own words, my own understanding of these teachings, I think what the what the Rebbe is really teaching us here is that uh, the beauty of trees and the lesson that we can really learn from trees is going back to you know this the the original point that I brought up in the very beginning of of today's podcast, even though it's not spoken about directly in the teaching of the Rebbe that I went over with you guys, but I think it is very relevant, namely this idea of creation ex nihilo that we see in the power of. Of, uh, of gardening that we see in the power of the earth and in, um, in planting in vegetative life and how this can actually, this actually is very present within ourselves as well. And it's specifically on this level of the plant life, of the vegetative life, that there's a, there's a sort of rejuvenation that can happen where we can actually be renewed in a real way and that we can actually really tap into this. And that not only can we tap into this power of rejuvenation, power of transformation within ourselves, that we're not stuck in our own self definition of who we are but actually this is the the whole point of our existence is to be able to do this to affect this transformation to become co-creators in the world with god and that and the way that we do this is by tapping into that power that makes us uniquely human that uh, that power of our intellect that makes us uh, uniquely human and in doing so we're actually able to elevate the vegetative aspects within ourselves meaning to elevate the emotions that are within ourselves and then these emotions that are within ourselves can actually transform into something new and elevate us as a person which in the macrocosm of creation the same thing happens is that when we uh when we eat different types of vegetables or fruits or these kind of things what we're doing is that on the one hand we're we're tapping into something higher than ourselves because again the the plant life comes from a higher source than ourselves uh, and so we gain something from the plant life but on the other hand the plant life is benefiting from us at the same time because we are allowing it to elevate back to its source which is the whole purpose that it's here in the first place so really it's this, this really beautiful symbiosis that occurs and it occurs again in this macrocosm of the world through plants as we see and it occurs occurs within ourselves as well that we use our intellect that god granted us with to transform and elevate our midos to transform and elevate our emotions and our character traits and then these character traits and these emotions really become something new and uh, and transformative and elevate our, our seichel, elevate our intellect, so that it's no longer just this cold intellectual you know, brain, but actually it's fulfilled its purpose in the world, which is to affect the mitos. So I hope that was clear. I tried to give this over as, uh, as clearly as possible. If you have any questions, comments, or anything like that, I'd love to hear from you. Um, feel free to leave comments on 
YouTube uh, or anywhere else. And until next time, I will speak to you then and happy to be shot. Thanks for listening to the It Is Top podcast hosted by Sarit Switzer. This podcast is dedicated in loving memory of my maternal grandfather, Abraham Yitzhak ben Benjamin Cohen of Blessed Memory. Music by Shoshana. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the show, please share it with others and subscribe on YouTube, Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And make sure to leave us a five-star review. To find out more about the It Is Top project, including more information on my soon-to-be-published book, please visit our website, itistaught.com. To catch the latest from me, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Looking forward to speaking with you tomorrow, and until then, have a great day.